0: Welcome to Roots, a music podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Edo. And together we are on a journey to celebrate and discover the music of different cultures from around the world.
1: In each episode, we will venture to new places under the guidance of expert musicians who are active in the traditional music scene of the region or the group of people they represent.
0: We will learn everything there is to know about the music, what it sounds like, how it's made, who performs it, and the occasions in which it is performed. Most importantly, we'll find out how this music has evolved into the 21st century.
1: Our guests will also workshop their music with us so that we can all experience the music directly from its source. We are so excited for you to come on this journey with us and explore the world through music. Today's guest is Raylon Yont, yanchin player, composer, scholar, and creative director of Chinese-American descent. Raylon began studying the yanchin at an early age in San Francisco, and later trained at the Central Conservatory of Beijing. His academic studies then took him to London, where he completed two master's degrees at SOAS University of London and Goldsmith University of London. His dissertations explored yanchin performance and soundscape composition as interfaces for producing transcultural identity. In 2016, he made his debut with the Silk Road Ensemble alongside musicians of the caliber of Yo-Yo Ma and Rhiannon Giddens, performing on the Grammy-winning record Sing Me Home, which made him the first Yanshin player recognized at the Grammys. Just as the ensembles, Raylan's approach to music is cross-cultural, as he guides listeners into a space beyond familiar boundaries of genre and geography. In London, he founded Tangram, a music collective growing a transnational community by creatively celebrating Chinese cultures. Concurrently, Raylon is exploring fluidity as a healing response to fragmentation, a research that he has recently extended to questions of gender through his alt-pop persona, Manta Woman. Raylon, thank you and welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, (laughs) y'all.
2: It's my pleasure. How
1: are you? Uh, we are talking now, and uh, that's after quite a lot of things that happened to you musically. Uh, I know that there was a residency, a few concerts with the Silk Road Ensemble. We are, of course, incredibly jealous.
2: Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how was that? <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Um, you know, I think this year has been very unpredictable in terms of my music path and you know, there's dry spells and then there's, I guess, wet spells <laughs> where it was like my first artist residency um, and then my second <laughs> artist residency oh. back to back um, and perform like a performance at the end of each one and then seeing family. So it's been a fast pace and I'm trying to now slow down, slow back down a little bit um, and... I've been writing. I've been writing a song, which has felt really good to. I finished the chords to that song yesterday. So, you know that perpetual. Um, I don't know if struggle is the word <laughs> that I want to use, but dance tense tense dance. <laughs> I love that um, of pacing oneself and finding. Finding the rhythm and and always feeling off balance, but then catching yourself and and continuing. That's beautiful, amazing. That's a very beautiful mm-hmm. metaphor, actually.
1: For <laughs> sure. It's like catching catching that step that you feel like you've missed, and
2: you feel like falling for a second, and when you land, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it feels like. Have you ever seen um, Drunken Fist? This type of martial arts. Oh, this Chinese I have. Ch- type yeah. Yeah. So it's like very erratic and very like the idea is that the person, it, the practitioner is um, they look like they're drunk, but so they're very erratic, but then they actually <laughs> hit in unexpected ways. And so it's a more effective way to fight. That's kind of how I feel. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, amazing. <yeah. laughs> Don't know what I'm doing, but then also maybe know a little yeah, bit. That's of what the I'm way doing.
0: though, especially, especially yeah. now. But I mean mm-hmm. you're definitely yeah. definitely doing something right. <laughs> definitely doing something right. Yes.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Why don't we get to it. We get to the actual questions. So um, as we said in uh, our introduction, uh, Raylon, you play the Yanchin, which is a beautiful instrument. Um, I should have probably mentioned when we were talking before the podcast that yes, my main instrument is a bass, but I actually play Santur. Uh, I've been studying it with uh, Saïd <laughs> ah. Kormafi, which you're, you're of course very familiar with. Uh awesome. should have mentioned that. Um, so I'm particularly excited, actually, to, <laughs> to talk about uh, a brother instrument
2: um brother sister um sibling uh, um true. ancestor actually Santor is the ancestor oh, there you go. or predecessor mm-hmm. of the Yangtze amazing yeah. uh, well uh thank you I didn't know that uh although I uh,
1: kind of had an idea about that but talking about history uh i would like to know your history with yanchin and then maybe we also get to the history of the instrument why not um but yes what's your history with uh, yanchin and the music of the musics of china
2: uh as well it's that thing where you don't realize it's not normal until (laughs) way later like because in some ways the origin for me was um very kind of beautifully um nondescript because i went to a school where to pick up the yangqin was as normal as picking up the cello or the piano um i went to the chinese american international school in san francisco which is a bilingual chinese and english speaking school and when i got to um When I was seven years old, the music teacher there, Susan Kennedy, introduced some at this ensemble called Melody of China, who are still active in the San Francisco Bay Area, who started teaching after school classes in Chinese instruments. And I um, was just, you know, mystified by these beautiful instruments and my parents encouraged me to play it and I was studying with my friends after school by the time we got to grade eight, um, you know, when I was about 12 years old, there were only maybe five students studying Chinese instruments. And when I got to high school, had an amazing teacher there named David Williamson who advocated for the school to purchase a yang qin and wrote parts for me in the school musical so that my illusion <laughs> of normality continued. Um, and around that time, the Central Conservatory of Music in Beijing, which is kind of like the Juilliard of Chinese music, started hosting grade exams and competitions in San Jose, right in our backyard um, geographically. And so I was able to start competing and doing grade exams, just like a lot of classic Western classically trained uh, music students do. So I was f- so blessed to have this perfect storm of opportunity and the right time, the right teachers, the right place, so that I could be a Chinese-American Yangqin player um, and could really advance my playing. It was around then, in high school, when I really started to wake up to how rare it was to play this instrument in outside of Asia and how alone I was um, as a player with, you know, even at the competitions, there'd maybe be one other Yangqin player Yangqin an uncommon instrument, even mm-hmm. in China, wow. to play. Um, but then I had the chance to uh, go back to China to study with Huang He, a professor at the Central Conservatory, um, for a couple of summers in university, as, uh, including one in university. So that that's and that's where I, for the first time, met Yangqin players. The top-notch young chim players, and felt like I had competition slash role models course. to push myself. Um, and then in college, that's when Wu um, Man launched Wu who's the world-renowned pipa player from the Silk Road Ensemble, um, saw my playing, invited me to perform with them, and that kind of launched my professional career.
1: That's fantastic, that
2: actually. You, you're right; it's
1: it's quite incredible that. Um, through your progression in the states, you were able to live in this illusion. Uh, well, it wasn't an illusion; mm-hmm. it was a reality, right? Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it would be a, a dreamlike reality for, for for many people, I would imagine, who grow up in any kind of uh, diaspora yeah. or um, you know, as children of migrants. That, that's that's fantastic. Um, uh, so, in many ways, you, you've learned it in the, that. that, that Kind of segues into my, my my next questions a little bit, but um, uh, and we've already talked about it a little bit. Um, I was wondering if learning the Yanqin in the U.S. how much it would be different from China, but I guess that um, the way you've learned already answers it a little bit. However, I wonder if um, even all, all of these graded exams and uh, competitions are they modern introductions or is that is that Are these developments that maybe happened Mm -hmm. a long while ago um, back in China or in general in the way this music is transmitted? um,
2: I would say, to my knowledge, it's a very uh, modern mechanism and probably one that's imported Mm -hmm. from Western culture along with the institution of orchestras and conservatories, which first came about in China around the 1950s. Um, So that is a, yeah, kind of a new-ish thing. Um, And at the same time, you know, it reminds me of, I'd say like the exam format is definitely something that's been present in Chinese Mm -hmm. culture for a really long time. If you think about imperial exams for the... Um, Junzi, the artist-scholar, and their kind of remit to master the, like, four, g- like, gentlemen, quote-unquote, arts of mm-hmm. Qin Qi Shu Hua, um, the instruments, the uh, chess, uh, calligraphy, and brush painting. Um, so this there is this legacy in China of the, the sort of literati or the, you know, intellectualism and... and a a sort of meritocratic structure that was very much intertwined with artistic excellence. Um, And that's something that I want to study more because as someone who loves um, reading and and doing research and aspects of academia, but also loves and also loves being a performer and a composer and just an Mm -hmm. artist and playing music, it's really heartening for me to see that in my own heritage There is um, precedent for those to to not only be um, not mutually exclusive, Mm -hmm. but to actually be integrated, which given my own upbringing in the Western education system where I felt like the arts were very devalued, generally speaking, in in the U.S. as, you know, um, an intellectual pursuit, an academic pursuit, a professional pursuit, heartening for me to kind of think back to those roots. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Amazing. And uh, um, is, is that something that you got to experience later on when you were talking when, when, you know, during later years of high school you said that you had a chance then to be in China uh, and, and study with uh, teachers there or is that something that you found within your own uh, I don't know if, if your family or your close community is that something that you had mm. also
2: at home Mm. Mm Hmm. I would say yes to the home aspect. Mm. I think my parents and my sister who plays the guzheng, Ah, um, really, you know, we, we had this wonderful atmosphere, encouraging atmosphere where we were. Um, I was so privileged and supported to have music be valued so much and I wouldn't have pursued it if it weren't for that home environment. Um, and then I would say, at the conservatory, that was much more technical. Mm-hmm. That was much more you know, focused on the instrument and, and becoming a really skilled player. It wasn't so much this blend of the artist scholar. I'd say where I really um, encountered that was at SOAS. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my first year being in London in 2017, doing a master's in music and development um, with the incredible professors there Um, Too many to name, but I'd say two who really um, were there for me were um, Professor Rachel Harris and Professor Angela Impey. Um, And they gave me the encouragement and freedom to really treat my music making with the same legitimacy and interest as any academic field. And they validated Music making and songwriting as a methodology that uncovers truth and explores questions and explores nuance, that was so validating because I felt like I had, I'd always had to sort of separate these parts of my mind. But then when I was, you know, it was approved for me to do a creative dissertation where I wrote two songs exploring yang Qin as an interface for articulating a transcultural Chinese American identity and then wrote commentary alongside of it, I felt like, wow, you know, I felt so intellectually creatively stimulated. Um, I felt like I was being an artist (laughs) scholar. And that was a very exciting experience. And I'm so grateful to those professors and to SOAS for giving me that chance.
0: That's amazing. Because like, I, I, I also have struggled with the idea of having of having the two lives almost. And and, because I I also love um, I love research. I love, you know, the scholarly like aspects of artistry, like you were saying. But how then do you how do you then reconcile that? Yeah. With being a performer and like just the way that you articulated that was just I have never thought of it like that. But yeah, that's it was so beautiful that is so beautiful yeah (laughs) and um and like it's like really like that because you're living you are um you're living your most um uh your your truth I guess you're living your um yeah I don't really know how to how to articulate that (laughs) but yeah thank you for sharing that um Bec- and and I'm I'm happy you had that experience because you brought us so much beautiful music now. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. No. I I can Thank also relate to so many of these points. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found soas uh, quite liberating, and uh, it, it helped a lot looking at music in in different ways and not as just the technician <laughs> or forcibly creative in a way that sometimes it makes crea- creativity also. Uh, a technical, machine-like pro- producing sort of uh, thing. Um, well, there's there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, however, I don't want to go necessarily too much off track, but thank you so much for this contribution. Um,
2: Can yeah, I just make one plug? <laughs> because hearing your response made me think of this one paper. It was the first paper that uh, Professor Harris um, Shared in our class, which was by Deborah Wong. It's called Sound, Silence, Noise, Power. And in it, she talks about the precarity of language and the way I think she's sort of one point she makes is that ethnomusicologists should abandon music in a way and start talking about these other words, sound, silence, and power, because they otherwise they are not taken seriously in academic settings, which are structured uh, based on these categories and based on these hierarchies of ways of knowing, of ways of, um, researching. And she's sort of saying, you know, one way we could do is just kind of throw it all out (laughs) and use different language. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a battle that I think a lot of ethnomusicologists and musicologists are part of, um, in particular. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, of
2: course. Also, the, the
1: musicing, the thinking of music even as actions, and yeah. uh, and yes. in, in a more complex way than just the object, the, 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 which is a bit fetishizing, and uh, or the mm-hmm. ornament. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, wonderful. But I am very eager now to get back to the strictly material and actually <laughs> talk about the yanchin and the instrument. I know what it is. Mm, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Let's talk about the yanchin. Um, Yes. Um, so, well, you, you've mentioned the history. So maybe why don't we start from that and then we talk about what it is. And because, of course, uh, right. I, I would like to remind our listeners that we will have uh, more information about it on the website. You'll have pictures so you can look at it. You can listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why don't we hear it from Raylan? I think that, that that's the best yeah. idea. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So the Yangqin, also known as the Chinese hammered dulcimer, has about a 400-year history in China. Um, It's a percussive string instrument. It's a trapezoidal wooden sound box with 144 steel strings stretched across it, which I strike with rubber-tipped bamboo mallets. And it is a descendant of the santor, which has roots in mesopotamia and um iraq and iran i think y- maybe edo you can say more yes, about absolutely. this when i've been calling it the persian santor and then someone came after me on tiktok saying it's from mesopotamia and iraq <laughs> and <Iran>. okay <laughs> um so but i think and actually do you do you have any do you know anything about about that before i can well uh-
1: it's a bit of a difficult one. So the, the santur, the way we talk about it now, the Iranian santur, which is played mainly in Iran, it's actually a relatively young instrument. There was an archetype, mm. a prototype of that, which dates back to pretty much that time. And there mm. was always quite a lot of communication, uh, especially in ancient times, between Mesopotamia, so southern Iraq and uh, mm. western Iran, uh, which is mm. not surprising, like even now in history, that's the part of Iraq that has the biggest Shia population. There are very big similarities between Western um, regions of Iran, uh, border with Iraq. Uh, I would say that that's kind of a nucleus. Uh, And then it Mm. developed from there. Uh, At the same time, this is one of the type of things that people tend to say. And I actually think that even more interesting than actually somebody pointing out that it's from Iraq, it's the fact that they feel like there's this need of proving. I don't think there's actually a proper history. I don't think it, it, it's a bit mm-hmm. sh- shred in a, in a bit of mist. Uh, but yes. yes, that's definitely the area uh, that it comes from. Thank
2: you. I completely agree with what you said about the need people feel to defend the national Absolutely. identity of these instruments when clearly they evolved in a very fluid, mm-hmm. regional way. Um, and in some ways the instruments themselves are a testament to the porousness of these national Absolutely. boundaries <laughs> um so the santur you know as from my understanding radiated out along trade routes um silk road land-based and maritime trade routes and um kind of be- became all of these different instruments in different cultures so the Hungarian cimbalom, the German hackbrett, the Celtic hammered dulcimer, um, the Indian santoor, um, and the yangyum in Korea. So it, this instrument exists across all these cultures, and it's uh, in 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 China. So it's the, the history is also fuzzy there, and there's a lot more research that I I hope to do. Um, but from the little that i've done my understanding is that it entered china around the late ming dynasty around 400 years ago and was disseminated throughout rural parts of china and really perceived as an exotic mm. instrument so the name yangqin originally meant foreign oh, wow. instrument um so within china it's it's always it's it has this history of being a kind of an outsider um so and then in the 1950s when the communist government rose to power and was trying to build a national identity, a unified national identity, part of that project involved establishing the first conservatories, creating an orchestra that's sort of posture in counterpoint to the West. Um, And they brought Chinese instruments into, they brought the Yangqin into the Chinese ensemble formally, and they changed the name of yangqin to a different character yang, one that means kind of to raise and to propagate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds the same, but it has a different character and therefore a different kind of connotation. And it's they sort of uh, you know deleted or erased the foreignness of the instrument. And I like to say that the tra- uh, the yangqins yangqin becoming a traditional quote unquote Chinese instrument. The traditionalization of the Yangtze was a byproduct of China's modernization.
0: Yeah, it's similar to what happened in like well, in a lot of places. But I'm thinking about Mexico and how they took um, they took Son Jarocho and they made it the and mariachi and they made it the national. Suddenly, it was the national music, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "Great!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess, and like it was is great because it it, it gave it um, mm. it gave it recognition. But then. It, in mexico for example like it kind of it kind of yeah had a new connotation like it kind of i guess but you're i guess i don't know if my point i don't know if i'm making a good point now because like in whereas in mexico it kind of lost a bit of what it was but i guess in china it kind of Mm. gained um gained Mm. something does that make sense like what i like yeah yeah but I guess it's a um, it's a crapshoot when you when the government gets involved and you're just, you know, you don't because it could yes. it could go either way. And like, so I don't know. That's just an observation. Yeah.
2: It's a very I think it's a great point. You know, it's it's about the. Um, effect that nationalism has on music and instruments and how how they, they can yeah. have very different effects, um, but that it. it definitely can change our perception of the music it can change our relationship to the music it can change the specificity of it um and in the case of the yangqin, i think today it's still kind of an outsider in the chinese music um world and you know it's much more common to pick up the guzheng or the arhu or maybe the pipa and there's different reasons for that but one thing that in some ways that, that, that is part of why I connect with it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's transcultural history. It's, it's status as an outsider. It's the almost blank slate that it has because there's so little repertoire written for it specifically. Um, and musically it's incredibly versatile, um, harmonically rich, you know, rhythmic and percussive, um, has sixty one notes. It's chromatic, so it it can do a lot of things. All of those qualities are are in some ways like <laughs> they resonate. They resonate with my own identity and my own aspirations as someone who's mixed race, as someone who's queer and gender fluid, um, sort of feeling out new possibilities. And the yangqin is is a very you know a primary interface for me to explore those things that's beautiful that's fantastic that that that's liminality Mm -hmm. yeah
1: I'm um, wondering, having the Suntour's perspective, um, mm. there's a big physical aspect to it. Not just because you're moving the whole up, uh, well, kind of, but your whole your upper body is involved a little bit. But also, uh, also, I, I didn't know so many strings. I already, like, I feel like the 72 of the Suntour are already so many and you got twice as much as that. Yeah. But <laughs> um, of course, they're distributed over bridges. So there's a physical component to the progression and uh, I find it that of course I'm I'm, I'm uh, still a beginner but maybe early intermediate yeah. <laughs> uh, player and that's where the struggle comes in there are certain Daskas that are taught later because the repertoire mm-hmm. to be applied on the Suntur it's, it's actually quite hard exactly because of the physical uh, build of the organology of the instrument and I uh, Added that to to that, you add the fact that it's a foreign instrument. Um, And you were mentioning that there's very little repertoire uh, written specifically for it. So um, when you play the rest of the repertoire, because I'm guessing that's probably then what happens, uh, is there a lot of rewriting, rethinking? Does it become a platform for reshaping the music?
2: Yes. I feel like there's lots of wonderful topics within that what you just said and i'll begin with the repertoire so i'll just um modify and add to what i said before there's there are lots of pieces um arranged for yangqin and there is repertoire that's written specifically for it but i think a common refrain that i hear among the yangqin players that i've i'm connected to in china is like we need more <laughs> like um and uh, there is this rethinking that happens when traditional tunes that were originally written for pipa, for example, are then arranged for yangqin and they're reinterpreted. And I think they're reinterpreted beautifully. You know, I love playing, um, pieces that were, you know, like three, six, san liu is one of, one of these pieces. Um, and I think the yangqin arrangement is gorgeous. And a lot of the writing, I'd say most of the writing is done by players themselves. So... Um, that is very beneficial um, because the arrangements are very idiomatic and very natural to play. Whereas when you have a composer who's not a player writing for the instrument, there are so many nuances that they don't understand about the convenient paths on the instrument and, and things like that, that now as someone who, you know, through my artist collective Tangram, as someone who is commissioning new work, I'm learning like Oh, just all of the barriers that need to be crossed in order for people to, for it to be accessible mm-hmm. for people to compose for. So um, there's, yeah, many dimensions to that process. And, but I guess I'm currently in a mode of excitement about this, this uh, conventional way of uh, generating repertoires for the, for the player themselves to be the composer and to um you know, I think sometimes in, in Western context we really separate composition from performance, yeah. and I think that actually results in several people who are performers thinking they don't have the capacity to compose. And I know I'm someone who had held that belief and am now actively counteracting that and improvising a lot on the yangqin and writing songs. And uh, enjoying making music myself as a Yangqin player. Um, and then in terms of the physical aspect of it, yeah, I think, I think the physicality, the tactile nature of playing the Yangqin, you know, the way in which all the notes are laid out in front of you and you can literally put your hands on it. You know, now I'm, I'm actually plucking it a lot and mm. doing various kinds of new techniques on the Yangqin. There's something very tactile there has informed how I write music and how I learn music. Um, so for example, I see shapes and pathways on the instrument and those are connected to my muscle memory. And I much prefer having that visual relationship to the music than looking away from the instrument and looking at a a sheet music. Um, And thinking of each note as a C or a D and, and, you know, labeling it as such. I much prefer playing by ear, memorizing, and then solidifying that connection between the visual kind of shape and map of where the notes are and the muscle memory. Um, And that's something I've, I've been trying to deepen my understanding of as I question the dominant conventions around learning music in the U.S. and the U.K. where we're taught, like, sight reading is, uh, the only way sometimes. I have two
0: questions. One's a little silly, I guess, but, like, and then the next one is, I don't know, not silly. Um, but, uh, first question. Is it quite heavy, the instrument? Yes. Okay.
2: Like, because I'm
0: thinking, like, that's a lot of strings. Must be, like, a big plank of, it's wood, right?
2: I think, yeah, I think it's made of, Mahogany is is one of the kinds of wood. I'm not sure what the other is, but I think it's I think the last time I weighed it it was eighty pounds. I think. Ooh. How much is that in kilos for your European friends? You're <laughs> gonna have to add that in. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. We'll put it on the website. Yeah, we'll buy it. <laughs> At the same time, like I carry it with one hand when I need to, and it is heavy, and I'm like, can I carry eighty pounds with my so, Apparently. yes, the answer is yes, it is heavy. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then my second question, I was going to look at what he um, My second question is, so you say that, like, you said that there was, there's really no music that's specifically written for the Yangtze. Well, yang-shin. okay. I, I want to really um,
2: roll that back, like, dial it back because okay, <gasps> I'm, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> there is a very, like, deep hunger by Yangtze players for more repertoire Right. But there is there is a there are like plenty of pieces written specifically for it um by the by Yangqin players themselves. And now there are some um new compositions coming out, but I the ones I'm most aware of are literally the ones that I'm commissioning or writing myself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, well, I mean you're definitely at the
0: forefront time. then. Yeah. <laughs> um so then if it's not so if okay, so like let's say like the arranged Pieces. Yes. What What are you arranging? Like, wh- what songs yeah. are they?
2: So, for example, um, there would be Han Lei or San Liu. Um, Thunder After the Drought and Three Six are pretty solid examples. Where it's a very popular folk tune,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and there's arrangements for pipa maybe um, or guzheng that were written beforehand, and then qin players adapt it for for the yangqin and they'll make it more playable on yangqin they'll add embellishments that are unique to the instrument, um, etc. and then there are original you know the totally original pieces for example like Falling Flowers Night by Wang Se, who's a professor at, a student at the Central Conservatory and a professor of Huanghe that uh, takes a lot of inspiration I think from Western classical music and romantic mm-hmm an impressionistic music or um and you can really feel those connections it it's it, it, it kind of sounds like a wc piece or it almost has piano like qualities where there's two different things happening in each hand and it's very virtuosic um so those i'd say are two examples two nodes mm. of the okay. kind of repertoire
0: okay got it
2: perfect
1: well that's a really good segue on to our next question because we've talked about your history we talked about the learning and we talked about the instrument Mm. why don't we talk about chinese musics Mm. i i always feel awkward Mm. using the singular now because uh especially with a country that's as big as china yeah and uh which historically was even bigger Mm -hmm. uh so aware of uh, many regional uh differences and the classical music, the folk music, the court music, whatever, and the entertainment, uh, whatever is there. Maybe maybe I'll ask you uh, if there's an aspect of some of them that you feel like it's maybe shared or something that you like particularly mm-hmm. of one of them. I wouldn't want to imprison you in a question that's otherwise
2: mm. That's a lot. <laughs> <problematic>. no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I um, recently taught a mini course for, um, Boston Conservatory. I can't remember if I also did it for SOAS. No, I think it was anyway, called the story (laughs) of nature in Chinese music. And I think this is, this is something that I really love about, um, a lot of the Chinese music I've been exposed to, which is the way it reveres nature and explores the relationship between humans and nature. Um, So one example is if you look at the titles of the pieces of Chinese music, I'd say maybe a majority of them are nature imagery. So tall mountains, flowing water is like one of the most classic pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Flowing water is another one thunder after the drought, um, beautiful flowers in the full moon, um, um, peaceful lake under the autumn moon. And so there's an explicit kind of foregrounding of nature. And um, what I've gleaned from my time uh, studying Chinese music is there are Three main kind of depths that this storytelling operates at. So, the, at the top, it's um, a it's about illustration. So, illustrating nature with sound, the music have being programmatic. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. you'd hear this in "Spring Arrives on the Qing River," which um, is on my traditional EP "Sun," where it begins with like. I wish I could play it for you right now, but um, maybe you can add it in. It goes like and you get this imagery of like birds or butterflies like fluttering and chirping <music> Um, So that happens a lot, painting the picture of nature expressively through music. The second layer I would say is about emotion. So what does our natural surrounding reflect back to us about what's going on inside? And maybe Tall Mountains and Flowing Water is a good example of that, um, where that's a piece that's played on the guqin, the most ancient of Chinese instruments, um, and the instruments that Artists, scholars were meant to master because... Mm -hmm. And it's it's a music that you actually play for yourself um, as a part of self-refinement. So rather than performing for an audience, it's a way to attune yourself to your surroundings, and sometimes you would play while speaking um, words of wisdom over top of it. And that piece, I think, is more of a reflection of... um, uh, you know, life and the change that occurs in life and the landscape of life and and how we uh, process our emotions in a way. And then the third tier is um, cosmological. So um, mm-hmm. dating all the way, dating back many, many dynasties, um, I think in the Han dynasty, there was, you know, an imperial court um, there was, there was a kind of, there, there's this text that talked about the role of music in, um, the court and, uh, talked about how nature has a specific balance and there are these different elements and music is a reflection of the sound of the cosmos. So by playing music, you're, you're able to, um, align, um, the different elements and and environment. Um, So that's, that's something that I think is important to a lot of Chinese music and whether it's like a folk tune that's being played in Yunnan to, um, you know, these pieces that are being played in the court in Beijing, you know, understanding it's impossible to generalize such a vast diversity of, of Of musics, like you said, um I would say that's one common thread that I'm definitely eyeing is this this beautiful reverence for nature
1: that's amazing. That I amazing. like the fact that in a way, you can even see these three elements as circles that surround each other mm-hmm. in a way. you go from the self to the na- to nature and then its extension mm-hmm. as the cosmos. I don't know maybe 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 it. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm remembering some philosophers talking about similar stuff mm. and uh, I'm imposing that vision, but I it's very, very beautiful. And as a matter of fact, uh, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily, but, um, these are all images that once you mentioned them, I was like, Oh, okay. I, I think I, I've, I've seen that association. Maybe it's some concerts or mm. song titles for sure. Um, doing reviews or whatever. Um, so I, I, f- I feel like there, I- if me, a comp- person who knows pretty much nothing uh, about Chinese musics can relate to it, probably there's a, it, it is a very strong component mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that also, th- 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 I think that in the West, we tend not to think about these sort of things. Mm. Like the, 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 the uh, I, I picture myself answering this question with aesthetics talking about scales talking about rhythms mm. you know it's in four four yeah. and ba- 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 ba. Yeah. Um, I love how beautiful that answer was and how it connects also possibly uh, to the four um crafts of the intellectual musician that you were talking about right yeah. the paint brushing and uh, calligraphy and, and the chess mm-hmm. I wonder if that's also part of, of the influence of that yeah. uh, aesthetic dimension yeah uh,
2: uh, it's my yeah attempt to identify something that can be shared between folk musicians who are doing like hmm. you know folk operas in uh, villages as well as the people these these artists scholars because there's such a class difference historical you know so of it's just course. like but acknowledging that difference, I think that's such a rich kind of um, aspect of the musics. And then the other thought was about Western music. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting how in the West, what we remember a lot is the individual composer. You know, we mm-hmm. remember the music based on their name of the man who composed the music. So we're like, oh, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, um, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas in Chinese music, I... I'm pretty sure, <laughs> unless I'm, you know, it's just my thing, but we don't remember the composers as much. We don't, we don't kind of put the composer on the, on a pedestal in the same way we do in the West. What you do remember is the name of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so imagine, like, all of that brain space in your memory that's taken up by remembering the names of the composers and remembering those individuals and that being your map for for a music culture being replaced with nature imagery.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Okay. There you go. <laughs> that hit the spot. That's fantastic. Incredible.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just it's something that really resonated with me was the idea that um, the the music that you play for yourself because i also think in the west it's you know everything is a performance like music is a performance or you know it's and like the whole meditative aspect of playing music that is so beautiful and i'm definitely going to take that with me into my own practice so thank you for that that that's really interesting thank you
2: you're welcome thank you to yeah the ancestors yes (laughs) absolutely
1: (laughs) absolutely exactly um Right, so I had w- two more questions really, and um, I have to say my next question is, we I think we've answered it because it's been an underlying topic of everything we've talked about cross cultural exchange and uh, the influence on on you as a musician as a as a creative being and uh, the drive for. This um, search, maybe we can talk about that. Wh- wh- where does it come from? Was it always with you? Is it something that you've inspired by uh, the circumstances you've been into, or uh, I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it just the pursuit of beauty and uh, and and truth and discovery?
2: I'd say it's a very. It comes from a very personal place of growing up in a mixed race, bicultural household in San Francisco. Even my neighborhood was reflected my family in that the demographic was half white, half Chinese. Mm. And <laughs> so I think I kind of grew up with this consciousness of hi- my hybridity. Um, and that was that idea of a duality really kind of structured the story of my life from when I was a baby and about how do we take these di- this difference and turn it into something, turn it into something and then hopefully turn it into something beautiful. Um, because, you know, as I grow older, I, I, I realize the immense challenge of that. You know, if you think about the political relationship between China and the U S like my, both my countries of origin and the the incredible the wall that's really being built the the cultural wall the metaphysical wall that's being built between these nations you know it feels it's like that what we're being taught is that chinese and western cultures are separate and yet i exist <laughs> and and the artists of tangram our artist collective exist and so what we're trying to do is by making music and existing and uncovering the richness and multiplicity of diasporic Chinese experience, we're trying to make it self-evident that it is not true that Chinese and Western cultures are separate, um, and that it's an incredibly dangerous and uh, an incredibly dangerous lie. Um, and we hope to tr- try to transcend that through music, you know, by getting away from the language languages and the words and the categories that have divided us so violently. Um, so I think it's like, it started from that place of innocence and then is now <laughs> in ha- has grown into this mission, um, that is a bit more, intense (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um but I'm also expanding that reflection beyond the question of race and culture lately I've been really grappling with the the binary of gender and 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 how I transcend that binary as well it came out as gender fluid this summer um and I think I've also been drawing on um, I've been, I've been kind of like trying to find flow amidst fragmentation. I think that's kind of the idea behind my practice right now to respond fluidity as a healing response to fragmentation. So looking at all of these categories, the ways we identify ourselves and how we're reaching a point where it's just all breaking, um, and that in order for ourselves not to break, I think we must transform, um, and embrace our multiplicity. And, and Taoism has actually been a wonderful resource for that. I realized that having a, uh, you know, a hippie philosophy, loving consciousness researcher, father, white German American father, and a a uh, mother who had a deep passion and knowledge for Chinese literature and culture, the way they ended up raising me was like spiritually and philosophically um, gathered around ideas of mindfulness, of um, you know yin and yang, of uh, creating those sorts of balance. And so by studying Taoism, I'm trying to, Um, learn and frame this very complex and wandering exploration. Um, And so the idea of yin and yang of like accepting that everything has, has two parts to it, that, you know, one thing would not exist without the contrast of its opposite. And finding just that flow of energy between the two rather than trying to collapse them together or crush mm-hmm. them together um, I think is a wonderful orientation towards difference that I think a lot of people in the West could benefit from you know hearing hearing these these Taoist notions um, absolutely yeah
0: I mean that uh, your answer is just, it it really really resonates with me and i'm so th- i i'm thankful that that you are that you that you articulated it in such a way and you were and because i've certainly been i've been trying to articulate the idea of um of i'm okay so i'm also from a, i'm i'm multicultural my mom is from the balkans and my dad is from puerto rico and i've always grappled with the idea of how what like cuz when i go to one place i'm not enough of that that thing and then if I go to the other place I'm not enough of that thing so the idea so your the way that you have um I guess handled that is so is so beautiful and it's inspiring to me and I hope to other other people of multicultural descent um and yeah so thank you for sharing that thank you and thank you for doing what you're doing because that. It's so important for people like us, for everyone, but especially for people <laughs> like us.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that it resonates. And, you know, I think we all I I think we're at a moment in time where so many of us feel like we have a foot in two worlds mm-hmm. in some way. And I think <laughs> um, we need to talk to each other about it more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you, Raylan. This
1: was an amazing, an amazing episode, um, and I'm about to close it with a, a bit of um, of a question for you. Uh, we wanna we started talking about you, and we wanna close with you, mm-hmm. and with you now, though. So what's going on now what's gonna happen soon why don't you tell us about your projects your upcoming releases and all of that and where we can find you Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. so that people can look you up give a listen to your music and see how
2: all of these things we've talked about connect (laughs) Mm -hmm. sonically thank you um i'd say on the horizon right now are two big projects so the first one is Lunar New Year premieres at LSO St. Luke's, um, which is a, uh, Lunar New Year concert featuring world premieres from Tonya Ko and Vivian Fung and Bebe Wang. It's a annual ritual for Tangram, um, our artist collective, where we combine music from different genres in a very festive, um, and fun concert. um, where you're going to get to hear these experimental premieres alongside Reimagined Folk Tunes and Diasporic Dream Pop. with special guest artist, Emmy the Great, who is an incredible um, artist based in London. And it's going to be a party. So that's on (laughs) January 29th at LSO St. Luke's. And tickets are available at lso.co.uk. Um, If you just search Tangram Lunar New Year Premieres, that'll also lead you to it. It will Um, also be on our website. Thank you.
1: People are looking for it.
2: And if you want to follow along Tangram's journey of us trying to connect Chinese and Western cultures through music, you can follow us at Tangram Sound on Twitter and Instagram. And then the other big project is my personal, my solo project, which we didn't talk about much here. We only hinted at it. But... Mm. um, I, it's, it's my gender fluid dream pop persona who I'm coming out as publicly on January 6th and her name is Manta Woman and you can, um, learn more about her and sort of see a bit of that journey by following me on Instagram at R-E-Y-L-X-N or you can go to my website, raylon.co, R-E-Y-L-O-N dot co um to join my mailing list or see the other stuff you know i'm kind of all over the place but hopefully <laughs> no, one of those awesome. touch points appeals yeah
0: amazing
1: wonderful amazing amazing thank you so much for this inspiring episode we are really grateful for your time mm-hmm. and best of luck with both projects thank and you. Uh, particularly uh, for this concert thank and, you and uh, right we'll just uh, listen to some music now
0: yes (laughs) thank you Raylan that's
1: it for us great thank you
2: honestly thanks for having me
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Roots, a music podcast. We release new exciting episodes fortnightly, so make sure you follow us on your favorite streaming platform and at Roots Music Pod on social media. Remember to check out www.rootsmusicpod.com where you will find resources and recommendations to discover more about the music we've explored together for the past hour or so, and more music from the fantastic musicians that have guided us through this journey. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.